Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I have to admit, I'm confronted by a little bit of a weird feeling. On Sunday in the Super Bowl, I would say that my rooting interest is pretty squarely on the side of the Philadelphia Eagles. No disrespect to guys like McCall Hardman and Malik Herring for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, in Hardman's case, he's injured, not going to play. And maybe this is kind of a recency bias thing. But because of Jordan Davis, because of N'Kobe Dean, because of these former dogs who were such a big part of Georgia's national championship in 2021, it seems easy for me to want to root for the Philadelphia Eagles in this game on Sunday. And part of the reason why that's such a weird feeling for me is, is because prior to the large UGA presence on the Eagles roster, I got to tell you something, I wasn't ever rooting for an Eagles team, a Philadelphia team, or anything like that at all. And I would say that it's probably too strong of a phrase to say that the Falcons and the Eagles have had a rivalry, but they've played in some big games over the years. I happen to have been there up in Philadelphia, very, very cold, tons of snow on the ground. When the Falcons lost there, was it the 05 NFC Championship, 04, 05, whatever year that was? I was up there for that. They've played in a bunch of big games since then. And I don't know, the the Philadelphia sports fan is one of those sports fans that I haven't always had a, a ton of love for necessarily. Maybe some of you feel the same way, but I think many of you feel the way that I do which is hey Philadelphia might as well be you know northeast Georgia if you're going to have Dean and uh, Jordan Davis on that same team all of a sudden that feels like home all of a sudden that feels like our our folks up there now and not only because N'Kobe Dean Jordan Davis play for the Philadelphia Eagles but also because they've been embraced as warmly as they have by that Philadelphia sports community I just think that's really interesting and there's a great story this week in the Philadelphia Inquirer I'll put a link to this when I post the show at dognation.com because I think it's worth your time to read it. I was able to read it for free. I, th- I think you can uh, read it without being a subscriber there as well. And, you know, the I, I guess the, the the premise of the story is sort of based around, obviously, the, the very sad circumstances involving Chandler LaCroix and, and Devin Willick uh, dying in the, in the uh, car accident and the fact that that's something that is still heavy on the mind to Kobe Dean and Jordan Davis, and you should certainly read that part of this. And, uh, and realized they were incredibly touched by all this as everyone affected or around the UGA community has kind of been. We, we certainly understand that. But in addition to that, in the story, it goes on to talk about the impact that Kobe Dean and, and Jordan Davis have made on the Eagles this season. Now, neither guy's really starting necessarily. I think that Davis is playing more than Dean is. He was on the, uh, the football writers all rookie team. So he's at least having some impact. It's not easy for you know rookie defensive lineman to make a huge impact in the NFL and a guy like Nicobe Dean is playing behind some veterans there at the linebacker spot so their time in terms of being on the field the most and the majority of their you know career probably sometime to come in the future but they are certainly having an impact right now and the way in which they contributed to a winning culture here at Georgia is also being noticed there in Philadelphia and it sounds like according to uh, Eagles coach Nick Sirianni they are contributing to that same kind of winning culture there in Philadelphia as well because that same story and the Inquirer featured a quote from Sirianni that I thought was really fun. I thought the Georgia fans would love to hear and I want to make that a part of what we do here today. So let me read you from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, talking about N'Kobe Dean and Jordan Davis. He says, that's why you want guys from those types of programs. He means Dean and Davis coming from a place like Georgia because they played in the biggest spot 
spotlight in college for the biggest prize. And anytime you're playing in big games, that's super helpful because they have been in that scenario before. Once again, that's Eagles coach Nick Sirianni's story in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Now, we could stop right there and just kind of put that quote on a plaque, and that could become a very, very valuable recruiting tool uh, for Georgia here for you know future prospects to say, hey, a team that actually played to the Super Bowl, they're favored to win the Super Bowl. They loved the idea of having former Georgia players in their roster because they were of the belief those former Georgia players contributed to winning at the NFL level because they had played in big games and won in big games while they were at Georgia. It just simply doesn't get any easier than that to convey just exactly what kind of culture that Kirby Smart's building here at UGA. But as many of you are aware, this is not like a one-off thing for the Eagles. You get the impression this organization very much believes that. Sirianni, the coach, seems to, but also at the kind of organizational level, let's go back to Howie Roseman here, you know, way back uh, prior to the, or I should say right after the NFL draft, when he successfully got Kobe Dean, when he obviously drafted Jordan Davis, you know, he talked at the time on Philadelphia radio about just how much he loved kind of going down to Athens to get the kinds of players he needed because of the kind of culture that was at play in a spot like UGA so what Sirianni says this week in the Philadelphia Inquirer was very much echoed by what the Eagles GM Howie Roseman had said after the NFL draft here is a reminder of that you know, I had a chance to go down to Georgia because it's like one-stop shopping you know like a, if I'm going to go on a school call like maybe just go to the place that there's like nine guys on defense that are going to be drafted so I went down there and you know I'm asking about all these guys and I'm asking about Jordan and I'm asking about you know the other guys on defense and, um, you know, at one point, you know, a guy who I'm really close with down there, he says to me, he's like, the best player on our defense is N'Kobe Dean. You haven't even asked about him yet. I'm like, I'm going to get to N'Kobe. I got him. Like, you know, like everyone there talks about the alpha dog. Everyone there talks about like this guy. And then you walk, put on the tape and it's instincts, it's explosiveness, it's toughness. It's just the, and you combine that with the character and it's like, man, this guy's got a chance to be a special player. And So listen, I mean, Howie Roseman is one of the most respected minds in the NFL. He's obviously the architect of a roster that's maybe on the verge of winning a Super Bowl. And the guy that has done all of that, one of the sharpest personnel minds in the entire sport, back in, what, I guess, late April, early May, uh, said, I view Georgia as a one-stop shop. I view that as the kind of place that I can go and get whatever I need for my roster. Now, he also goes on to say some very interesting things about N'Kobe Dean, and that's in its own right pretty interesting about the coup that uh, Philadelphia pulled. It would be a very shrewd move to be able to get Dean as late in the draft as they're able to get him, and that's an interesting part of that. But what Roseman says about Georgia kind of being a one-stop shop for all the talent that you need, very much in keeping with a guy like Sirianni who says, I love the fact that you got a Davis and a Dean on this roster because they were part of a winning culture, and now they've kind of helped bring some of that winning culture here to the Philadelphia Eagles there as well. If you're a UGA fan, you love that. If you're UGA itself, that's pretty useful tool in terms of kind of keeping that pipeline going and maybe reinforcing to the current players that the culture that you're helping contributing to as hard as it is as much as it's asked of you uh, you know to do that as challenging as it may feel from time to time it's being noticed by the coach of the uh, team favored win the super bowl and his gm there as well that is being noticed now along this kind of same i guess line of thought Jordan Davis in this same story in the Philadelphia Inquirer was also quoted as well 
about the notion that you sort of take what you learned at Georgia and you bring it here to the NFL. And this sounds exactly like something that Jordan Davis would say. Let me uh, read this to you again here from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Jordan Davis saying Georgia kind of set the precedent that we're always looking for the next one. We acknowledge what we accomplished and everything. But even after the NFC championship, we were telling each other, he and Nicobe Dean, we got to get the next one. We're always chasing that next high, that next win. That's what Jordan Davis told the Philadelphia Inquirer this week that he kind of learned about his time at Georgia. Now, here's what we know. We know that is real and we know that is true. We still see examples of that at George, even in the aftermath of Dean and Davis no longer being there anymore. In fact, we talked about this just last week on the show that Georgia was on the field after having beaten TCU this year for its second straight national championship. And there was already chatter on the field about winning that third one. Kirby Smart had the three fingers in the air. Uh, Kirby Smart said he had, you know, seniors telling him that, hey, you guys got to come back. In fact, instead of me telling you that, let me let you hear Kirby Smart to sort of accentuate the point that Jordan Davis just made, that at Georgia, we're always chasing that next high. We're, We're acknowledging what we've accomplished, but we've also got our sights set on what we're trying to accomplish beyond that there as well. Georgia Jordan Davis says that's what it's like at Georgia. And guess what? In the aftermath of Davis no longer being here, that is apparently still what it's like at Georgia. And Kirby Smart told us that in the locker room after the national championship game. I want to say a special thanks to our seniors. Let's give them three. I don't know that I've been around a group like that. I don't even know the records you have. Winning this group, two national championships. You played through a COVID year. You didn't get extra games. I don't know. I don't know that anybody can break their record except the next group of seniors. You understand what I'm saying? Chris Smith came to me on stage and said, Coach, you got to win it next year without us. What does it Jordan Davis said? Hey, we're always looking for that next high. We're always looking for that next accomplishment. And that really is what George is doing. Chris Smith on the field of the national championship, as Kirby Smart said in his own words right there, was already telling Kirby Smart, you got to go win that next one without us. You guys got to do this again next year. You're always thinking about that insatiable appetite for success and what is coming next on all of that. So to wrap all of this up, let me kind of, I guess, restate a point that I made just a moment ago. If you're a Georgia player currently right now or over the course of the last couple of years and you've contributed to this culture, you have to know there is a moment from time to time when you're left to wonder, man, is this really all worth it? Is is the hard work that I'm putting in here, is the dedication and determination that all of this requires, is it really worth it? And obviously the national championships themselves would seem to be an indication that's true. But maybe even more so than that, when a Eagles coach like Nick Sirianni is talking about Georgia and what happened at Georgia prior to his own team playing the Super Bowl, that ought to reinforce that that much more that, yeah, people are noticing the hard work you're doing, the sacrifice that you're making. People are noticing it. A guy like Howie Roseman, who literally is as respected as any GM, probably the best NFL GM when it comes to drafting talent. And he says, I view Georgia as a one-stop shop. I can go there, big box retailer, and get everything I need for my roster right there in that one spot. So to the Georgia players who wonder, man, I'm asked to do a lot. I'm asked to endure a lot for being a part of this roster, being a part of this program. Is all of that worth it? Well, some of the biggest names in the NFL say, yeah, you better believe it's worth it because we notice what you're doing. And Right now, there is undoubtedly an incredible machine operating at a very high level there at UGA. Georgia fans are having a good time with it, but the best minds in the NFL are noticing it too. And I got to tell you, that is a pretty cool thing. 
My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented today by Breda Pest Management. We're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us, live on video, 10 a.m. We start at 945 for our first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all kinds of video platforms, radio at noon, an app and sports radio 960 The Ref. I had a chance to be with my friends on the radio this morning in Athens. That's always a great pleasure. I do that every Wednesday morning with them. That's always a uh, lot of fun and of course we deliver the show there at noon each and every day and we make it available for you as a podcast wherever you find them the apple player spotify all kinds of podcast platforms just really 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 happy to have you a part of what we do here so thankful for all of that and a big thanks as well to our friends at breda pest management who make it all possible there as well you know the official pest control provider of uga athletics means that when you do business with breda hey you're doing business with somebody that's obviously a great supporter of uga but also someone who's been recognized by uga that's kind of the market leader here in this space and that matters for you because the strength the resources that breda has the fact they've been in business since 1975 the fact they've got 100 something employees the fact that they're able to do all that provide all that for their customers means you can also leverage that strength for something that's really important for you right now which is putting more money back in your pocket because for your own termite protection especially if you're working with one of these like fly-by-night companies or something like that you know maybe you're getting that letter in the mail each year about the cost of your service going up it seems like everything's getting more expensive right now so saving money and putting money back in your pocket when you can is obviously a very important decision to make and that is what breda pest management is all about because when you make the switch to breda you're going to put money back in your pocket instantly just for making that decision so for bugs for critters for your termite protection for the things you need trust the same company that uga trusts our friends at breda pass management find them online bradapass.com that's b-r-e-d-a bradapass.com once again b-r-e-d-a bradapest.com for a lot more on that all right good to have them a part of the program great to have all of you with us here we're gonna get uh mike griffith here coming up in just a moment there as well so we'll talk to him about everything ongoing here at the university of georgia prior to that though i want to go around the doghouse and i want to talk a little bit about something that jake Fromm said yesterday of course every tuesday on our show the former georgia quarterback jake Fromm joins us and i think jake has turned into a terrific analyst and a lot of the things that jake has to say about georgia football i find to be pretty fascinating and something that jake said yesterday actually echoed something that we talked about on the show this past friday on friday here on our program i said that i thought the most underrated storyline for georgia this season uh, in the offseason anyway, might be the return of Ladd McConkey, a guy who had more than 700 yards receiving in 2022, a guy who brings back a level of production and performance that Georgia hasn't often brought back in its wide receiver room. And what we said was, hey, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to give attention to who's leaving or whatever else, but McConkey's decision to return to forego a chance to go to the NFL draft right now, we thought that was a really big deal. And Jake Fromm yesterday on the show kind of echoed that sentiment saying that he doesn't think it's getting enough attention right now what georgia does bring back among its crop of pass catchers this is really good stuff from jake Fromm. wanted to make sure you heard this this from yesterday here on dog nation daily as a part of the round the doghouse let's hear from jake Fromm right now look straight up i mean i think this room is underrated uh undervalued and underappreciated i mean these guys are tall they're long have great ball skills they're fast i mean these guys are all NFL caliber uh, wide receivers. I mean, these guys can do it all. You can put them inside, put them outside. Um, I mean, these guys are playmakers. And to be able to have that experience coming back, 
especially for a quarterback who hasn't had snaps, no matter who it's going to be, really hasn't had that many snaps relative um, to what you know would be desired or wanted or um, anyway. But 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 these receivers, man, I, I think these are some really good guys. They're underappreciated, uh, and I think it's a really really good room, uh, and especially with the guys coming back uh, and even the guys in the transfer portal as well. I mean, these guys are who who. Um, who had a lot of production at where they were at, wanted to play for a better football team and a better football program coming into um, to, uh, under Kirby Smart. Uh, and, man, they're, they're wanting to put up big numbers and have production here. So uh, I'll look forward to it. I think it's going to be pretty exciting to watch. So along these same lines, Connor Riley had a story yesterday at DogNation.com looking at Bill Conley from ESPN. Conley's one of those math dudes, and he does like the SP Plus formula for ESPN.com, and he also charts returning production around the same time every year. And I do believe that's an important part of the overall formula to understand how good any team can be in the upcoming year. It's not to say that if you bring back all your production, you're going to be great, or if you bring back none of your production, you're going to be terrible. That hasn't necessarily always correlated to uh, being true but it is an important thing to keep in mind if you're looking at teams within a similar category the team that is more experienced in that comparison may be set up for more success in the, in the uh, upcoming year now according to conley the georgia offensive returning production numbers may not match the enthusiasm that i have and that jake uh, shared there Georgia's just 109th in returning production offensively uh for next year now part of that as connor kind of points out is the fact that georgia does not bring back its quarterback stats but it obviously took all the snaps of significance for georgia this past season and you obviously lost your two offensive tackles there as well so that's going to hurt your overall production percentage numbers compared to some of the other teams but even with that I think that there's an element of what Georgia brings back at wide receiver that may be kind of difficult to quantify because it's obviously three of the top five pass catchers for last year. But in comparison to what Georgia has typically had, where like 700 plus yard receiving seasons for Georgia have been kind of hard to come by. But in the case of the dogs for this upcoming season, you're bringing back two guys that had at least that much for me for you a year ago including brock bowers who was almost a thousand yards as we said before you know mcconkey's year in 2022 ranks as one of the most productive years that any georgia pass catcher has had under kirby smart he's coming back marcus rosemey jack saints decision return is also probably a pretty big deal there as well and then as jake points out in his particular uh comment there also two big names in the transfer portal including dominic lovett from missouri who was about as productive as any wide receiver was in the sec this past year so to me this adds up to a real reason for optimism in terms of the georgia wide receiver situation or maybe better said the kind of the pass catchers for georgia here this year i think it gives georgia a chance to be productive offensively by the way no matter who the offensive coordinator is next season and as jake also talked about in our conversation yesterday and if you missed this you should go back to dog nation on youtube or the uh, podcast feed and listen to the full show or watch the full show also in terms of ushering in a new quarterback for uga the presence of some of this experience at wide receiver the presence of some of this productivity whether it you know kind of measures up on bill Connolly's scale or not the presence of some of this productivity should make the transition to a new starting quarterback perhaps a little bit easier there as well so really good stuff from jake Fromm on what is probably a positive for the dogs that up to this point in time may not quite have gotten enough attention yet we'll make that around the doghouse and before we get ready to talk to mike griffith here today I also want to take a moment to remind you that you still have a little bit of time to register for your chance to win the really fun giveaway courtesy of our friends at Kroger for the Dog Nation Cruise. Now, a lot of you know Royal Caribbean's Independence of the Sea 
ladies. We're going to be on board together April 24th through the 28th coming up, going to Nassau in the Bahamas and Perfect Day Coco Cay. You know about all of that, but you may not be aware of, at least by now I hope you are aware, that you have your chance to win a uh, free cruise on this courtesy of our friends at Kroger. Now, what Kroger's going to do for you here is they're going to give away a stateroom for up to two people uh, to be a part of the Dog Nation cruise. You also get a hotel room the uh, night before the cruise. That's April 23rd. So you'll be right there in Port Canaveral the night before the cruise, ready to just sort of wake up and be on board and get ready to go the very next day. You get a gas card to uh, help help get there. You get some onboard credit to enjoy while you're on Independence of the Sea. So all of this courtesy of our friends at Kroger. Now, the really fun thing is, is all you have to do here is go to dognation.com for your chance to win. You can literally register for your chance to win right there on the website. All we need to know from you is what your favorite moment from the 2022 season, what that was. Let us know right there at dognation.com. And then from all the entrants, we're going to pull a winner at random. And that is going to be the Dog Nation Cruise giveaway winner, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. You have between now and Friday, which is February 10th, to get this done. So make sure you get on board and get ready to, uh, to go on that today. Great Dog Nation Cruise giveaway, courtesy of our friends at Kroger. Check out dognation.com for more information on that. All right, before we're done today, there is still some ongoing chatter out there between Georgia fans and Ohio State fans about the big game in Atlanta back on December 31st and the aftermath of all of that. This may not die down much during the offseason. We'll tell you what's new out there today on that before we're done. But for now, on everything else going on uh, with these dogs, including the future of Todd Munkin, let's do all of that right now with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Mike Griffith here today. And, Mike, let me go ahead and bring you in on a conversation that I was just having, uh, playing a little bit of a clip from Jake Fromm's appearance in our show yesterday about the fact that he doesn't really feel like the situation involving Georgia's wide receivers has kind of gotten enough attention. That Georgia brings back three of its top five pass catchers from a year ago. One of those is a tight end, but we'll kind of include Brock Bowers in this discussion here for the moment. But, you know, Ladd McConkey comes back this year. He brings back almost 800 yards receiving uh, to do that. I thought that Marcus Roseme Jackson had a very good year for Georgia a year ago. He's coming back as well. Georgia adds two productive wide receivers through the transfer portal. We're going to pres- presume for a moment that Ra-Ra Thomas is uh, a part of this team here this year. Uh, these are both guys that have kind of achieved at the SEC level here. That it certainly seems like that Georgia's got a level of production returning at wide receiver that we haven't often seen Georgia have maybe during the Kirby Smart era. How good do you feel that Georgia fans should feel about what they have at the pass-catching spots for this upcoming season? Jake Fromm is incredibly smart and one of the best interviews uh, in college football, period. And, and I love how transparent he is, and he's been spot on with everything that he, I've ever interviewed uh, Jake about going back to 2018. So I'm thrilled that Jake's a part of Dog Nation Daily, and I would put a lot of stock in whatever he says just based on his track record and what I've observed. Um, if Jake feels good about it, I feel good about it. Uh, I will say that. I will say that. I'm, I, Brandon, I'm itching, though. I'm itching to share. Am I allowed to share my favorite memory from the season, or, or would that corrupt everybody else's thinking? No, I think – but by all means, go ahead. That's obviously one okay, of the criteria well, for our Dog Nation cruise giveaway, so by all means, go ahead. Now, you're not eligible to win the cruise. I, 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 do want to, I do want to point this out. As a Dog Nation employee, you are not eligible to win our cruise giveaway, <laughs> but uh, you are more than uh, eligible to uh, share your favorite moment from the season. I can't wait. People 
people have no idea what happens on the cruise. Sure. I cannot wait for the cruise because the conversations that we have at the meetings that are set no up doubt. are one thing, but the conversations that we have away from the meetings, sure. oh my gosh, they're so much fun. Okay, no doubt. well, no what doubt. came to mind for me, and I don't know if I sat down and gave it three hours of thought, I might come up with something else. This is probably obvious. But when Stetson scored the touchdown and did the telephone thing, yeah, that was probably my favorite moment. And I, I guess it was because it was a lot of things. It was, it was, you know, such a buildup for the number one versus number one, and what's going to happen, and what's the crowd going to be like. But to see Stetson have that little bit extra, and at the time not like know what this was about, like what is that? Yeah. Like where is this celebration coming from? It just it wet my appetite and desire to learn more about, okay, there's something going on here. And they just scored, and they were so impressive on that drive. So I guess that was the moment where I felt, and maybe part of it was because I'm a reporter and I just there was an uh, interest peak, but part of it was just the whole Tennessee game. I mean, that, that's probably one of my favorite. I think that is my favorite Georgia game that I've covered in the five years on the beat. And there's been some really great ones and, the Ohio State game was certainly very close, and I know we're headed that direction in this conversation, but that Tennessee game to me was probably my favorite Georgia football game in five years as a beat guy. And I think it's a really important game too, Mike, from the standpoint that when Georgia won the national championship, there was a lot of debate immediately after the game about some of the Georgia players who thought they had been doubted, and a lot of the media types were saying, oh, this team was never doubted. Now, it is certainly fair to say, I think it was Nolan Smith who was like, you know, y'all picked us to be 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. No one picked Georgia to be 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. That is certainly true. That, you know, the, uh, no one did that. But there were also a lot of media types who I think tried to like rewrite the story of the season to make it seem like that Georgia was never doubted. And Mike, I'm here to tell you, and I think you'll back me up on this, that it is incorrect to say that Georgia was never doubted at any point in time yeah. this year. Prior to the Tennessee game is a perfect example of that, where you had anonymous coaches saying that Georgia's defense may give up 50 points to Tennessee that day. There were plenty of people who thought Georgia was going to lose outright in its own stadium to Tennessee there that day. Tennessee was the number one team in the college football playoff rankings that time. Georgia was obviously a point spread favorite in the game and a pretty sizable one. But putting that aside, Tennessee was the number one team by uh, ranking uh, via the college football playoff selection committee. So to me, the Tennessee game is a little bit of an example, maybe the the image that should come to mind for what I think that was a season in which Georgia played with a pretty big chip on its shoulder for most of the year. And I don't think you can tell the story of the 2022 season for Georgia without talking about the fact that this team had a little bit of an edge to it uh, throughout the year. And I think a lot of that did kind of culminate with that Tennessee game there in November. Yeah, and it wasn't just the Georgia team. You know, I remember I was going back looking at some of my On the Beat episodes, and Jeremy Pruitt was talking about the fans, the way the fans responded. He said it tells you where the program is at. When the fans respond, Kirby challenged the fans to make a difference, and they did. And Jeremy said on my show that night that he thought the Georgia fans were worth 7 to 10 points in that game. That's a head coach yeah. saying that. That's a former SEC head coach and two-time national championship coordinator saying the crowd was worth seven to ten points. So, and to your point, they weren't just number two that week. They got dropped to number three. Yeah. That was the first college football playoff rankings. That's the first time the group of experts, you know, quotation marks, got their heads together after eating their pimento cheese sandwiches in the same hotel for a week and told the world how smart they were by putting Tennessee number one and Georgia number three. That's how smart they were. 
Apparently, the coaches poll and the AP Top 25, we had it wrong all year long. These experts in the room, Brandon, were going to tell us. And then the people on game day, you know, the, 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 the fickle crowd, you know, I'm going to pick Tennessee today. Well, Kirk Street. well, Desmond Howard. Everybody was so ready. And why? Because they love the offense, Brandon. They love the offense. Nobody wants to talk about defense. Like I said that week, all we heard about was hurry up offense. Hurry up. Nobody's talking about Kirby's hurry up defense. You ain't hurrying up the Kirby smart defense, folks. He's more prepared. He's got packages ready. Why aren't we talking about hurry up defenses and substitutions and packages? I'll tell you why. Because they love offense. Yeah. And Kirby says, right. you just keep right on loving it. I'm going to keep taking the big trophies. No, I think you're right about that. What do you think about the, I think it's what, 22 years in a row that Georgia's had a player, a former player in the Super Bowl? Yeah. It's one of those things where at one point in time, maybe this will look a little bit of a random thing or, you know, kind of just sort of a triviality. But the fact that it's happened year after year after year, I mean, I said before, 20 plus years, that's a really long time. And we kind of gave a quote before you joined the show about Nick Sirianni bragging on the culture that Nicobe Dean and Jordan Davis helped bring to Philadelphia. And obviously, you know, Howie Roseman going back to the NFL draft, who I think is probably the sharpest draft mind of them all, talking about Georgia kind of being kind of a one-stop shop for talent. And now Philadelphia is in the Super Bowl. To me, I think for Georgia fans, justifiably so, they take a lot of pride in the kind of the Georgia presence that seems to be in the Super Bowl each and every year, including this upcoming Sunday there as well. Of course, Kansas City's got some of this too. McColl's hurt, but uh, Malik Herring on that roster there as well. This is something that Georgia fans, I think, kind of enjoy. Mike, what do you think about it? Yeah, no, I think it's a couple of things. So one, I would start with the consistency of the program. You know, the fact that Georgia has the longest bowl streak of any program in the nation right now, Brandon, I want to say it's like 24 years that that the dogs have been in a bowl. There's no other program that has been that consistent of a winner. I mean, there are ups and downs in every program, but the downs have not been that down at Georgia. That's a tribute to Mark Richt. Uh, That's a tribute to certainly Kirby Smart. Um, The consistency that this program has maintained. Um, with their football program. I think it's a, it's an identity. It's a part of the Vince Dooley identity. I mean, there's a certain, and I've said it from the beginning, there's a certain class and charisma that the University of Georgia possesses. Every program, you know, just like every ice cream flavor, you know, kind of has its own, you know, little, you know, whatever to it. I think every program kind of has their own taste, kind of has their own, you know, something about it. And I've always even as an outsider when I covered Alabama and Auburn and, you know, Michigan State and Tennessee, I've always just felt like Georgia had this class and charisma. And it was part of what, it's part of what lured me to the job when it came up, you know, five years ago. And, and of course, the interviews that you and I would do when I was covering Tennessee, you and I would go back and yeah. forth and have fun. And, and I just always enjoyed it. And I just always appreciated, you know, like you just knew that Georgia was going to be a good game every year. You knew it was going to be a, a beautiful setting there at Sanford Stadium. You knew that the hospitality would be incredible. You knew that George, you weren't going to have any problems with any Georgia fans being jerks. Um, it just, it, it's just a cool place, and, and there's a lot of consistency there. And so when you are a consistent winner, you're, you've got consistent winning players that come through and, and make a difference. And, and I'm going to say this, and everybody's going, oh, Mike, you were doing so good, and now you have to mention this. I think Jalen Hurts is part of it. I think Jalen Hurts is a winner. I think the Saban culture produces winners. And that's why they were a dynasty. And now George is the dynasty. And when you recruit players that come from championship cultures, 
which Alabama guys do, which Georgia guys do, a lot of SEC guys for that. Joe Burrow ain't done so shabby either, by the way. But when you recruit players that come from championship cultures, including guys like Nicobe and Jordan, you're right. They're going to be around forever. These are, you know, these are both future college football Hall of Famers. Uh, I think Nicobe was an All-American. I'm pretty sure of that. Jordan Davis is a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer. But when you recruit that sort of character, it, it reminds me, and you might have been in that press conference when Kirby was talking about the locker room, we were talking about NIL and transfers coming in, and he was talking about you got to have enough guys that are uh, believe in your culture that when there's people that you know brought into the program or people that may be influenced by other things, the, the culture kind of overwhelms them. It kind of I don't know if he called them bright lights. I can't remember what word he used right now, but he, he you know when you've got one or two and every room full of 125 people has got one or two of those people, but if you've got the right culture. The, the team-first attitude prevails. I feel like that's where the Philadelphia Eagles are. I, I really yeah. feel strongly about the Philadelphia Eagles, Brandon. And I have no reason to, uh, other than the fact that they just seem to have that um, synergy going right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, last year we obviously enjoyed seeing a former Georgia quarterback like Matthew Stafford win a Super Bowl. I know Oklahoma fans would love to see a former Oklahoma quarterback like Jalen Hurts win a Super Bowl on this particular Sunday there as well. I don't know how big that would be for the entire Sooner, <laughs> really Sooner football community to see one of their own win the Super Bowl. We obviously send well wishes to everybody in Norman as they root that on for this particular Sunday. Uh, Mike, on a different point here for a moment, um, get an interesting story about Todd Monk the other day where – you know, I, I guess the thought maybe, you know, from folks inside or around the program is, ah, you know, hey, money won't be an issue, I believe is the way that you reported this. Money won't be an issue in terms of, you know, uh, trying to keep Todd Monk or anything like that. So obviously that's a very interesting report. And I guess, Mike, what it leads me to say is, well, if that's the case, if money's not an issue, and yet this Munkin situation remains unresolved, both in terms of Munkin seemingly pursuing NFL jobs and as Paul Feinbaum kind of pointed out this week, Georgia's seemingly willing to allow him to pursue these NFL jobs. Mike, I think the longer all of this goes on, the more it invites people to kind of read into it. Now, maybe they'll read the wrong stuff in it. Maybe it's factually inaccurate, some of the things that people assume here. But, I mean, I, I think we're getting to a point where if this just keeps going on, you know, longer and longer and longer without any kind of resolution, I think a lot of folks are going to be left to wonder, well, what exactly is going on here with all of this? So I'll ask you, what exactly is going on here when it comes to George and Todd Munkin? Well, everybody wants to be wanted. And when you're a coach, you know, you want to do these. You know, every time you do an interview, you know, you're, you're branching out your network. And, yeah, Todd Munkin's good for now. We know that. We know he's good for now, probably next year, the year after that. But someday these people that he's meeting in these interviews, this could come full circle. He may need a job in three or four years. You know, who knows? So it's a networking opportunity. It's also an opportunity to go different places. Um, and in some ways, maybe you learn a little bit more about how good your situation is when you go somewhere else and they're talking turkey with the money and you're looking at where you might have to live and you're looking at their facility and, and, and you know, what, what, what kind of influence does John Harbaugh want to put on you versus the blank slate that Kirby Smart gives Munkin to some extent. I still, I'm still convinced there were times in 2021 and 2020 when, when Kirby said run the darn ball in the, in the fourth quarter when maybe Munkin, you know, would have liked to have put up numbers. But the cool thing about Munkin, and I think you'll agree with this, is he knows his place. 
Like, you know, he's not getting some warm and fuzzy feeling that, you know, the, the, the dogs have accepted him and he's a DGD. No, he's here to win. And like he said, if he sucks, you're going to fire him. And the minute he thinks otherwise, he's wrong. Like, he's just a grizzled old veteran. And you just think, can, you know, can Georgian soften him up and make him like it enough here? To me, that's where the money comes in. You know, you can say, well, it's really not about the money. Well, we know it's not, Todd, but, you know, here's another 750000 for your wife to spend. Not you, because you're working your ass off. And you really don't have time to spend money. But the wife does. And, and it's really, to me, as much as it's about keeping Todd Munkin, it's about keeping the Munkin family. It's about wanting to keep them engaged. And from what I understand at the Booster event, um, the McGill Society event, Munkin and his wife were fully engaged, fully appreciated, big smile. All the talk was about the future. But business is business. Now, as for Kirby Smart and what he allows his – Kirby's been there. Kirby, Kirby was there. Kirby was the guy that everybody wanted to hire. I mean, Georgia tried to hire him. What was it, 2009, 2010? Mark Rick tried to bring him over as a D coordinator back to his alma mater, and he, he stayed with Saban. You know, it didn't make him a traitor. didn't make him any less of a bulldog. made him a businessman. But he still listened, right? He still listened. And I think to be um, an effective head coach and have people that are all in on working for you, you have to show them that you will support them as well. And if, Todd, if part of keeping Todd Munkin is allowing him to fly around and, and have his ego stroked by NFL teams, then Kirby's fine. You know, and, and, if, and if Munkin wants to stay, Kirby's cool with it. And if Munkin doesn't want to stay, Kirby's cool with that too. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Munkin would be a huge loss. But Kirby Smart does not worry. He does not worry about the things that he cannot control. We have learned that Kirby is one of the most efficient creatures on the planet, okay? It's a one-track mind for championships. He cuts out some time for family. He cuts out a little time for golf, and he eats a few things that he probably shouldn't. But outside of those three things, Brandon, this guy's got a one-track mind for championships. And I can assure you, there's already a plan in place if Todd Munkin's gone. And it ain't just, I think I'll do this. It's This is exactly what we're going to do. So... Part of it is Munkin and the nature of the beast, being a grizzled old veteran, knowing you can never have too many friends, knowing that NFL networking is a very important part of protecting your career future. This is a guy that hasn't been places very long. Probably makes him a little itchy. Oh, my gosh, he's going into the fourth place? I don't even know if he hangs pictures on the walls of this place, right? So this might be a little itchy for Todd, but I kind of feel like the wife's kind of like, you know, this is pretty good here. So there's a lot of dynamics at play. Nothing to worry about, though, not as long as Kirby Smart's running the program. So I totally agree with all of that. Let me just squeeze in one more thing, though, as a kind of follow-up on this. What I kind of find interesting about this right now is, whether it be the Tampa situation where a lot of people think, oh, there's no way Munkin would would, want to be at Tampa because it's not very favorable, the Baltimore situation where he's among a list of people who've had a second interview. You know, Mike, you've been around the block a million times. The sort of, you know, blueprint for all this kind of stuff is – is if it's a job that you don't want or maybe even a job that you don't think you're going to get the guy who interviews always removes himself from consideration that's what ryan grubb did the other day the washington offensive coordinator after he interviewed at alabama i believe the 24 7 sports reported that he was offered the job but grubb announced himself no i'm staying at washington there was some overtures to dan lanning a couple of years ago and lanning kind of put out the run it back message an indication that he was not taking the texas job what i find to be interesting interested here is is there's this situation at tampa which people think that munkin doesn't want there's this situation in baltimore where i would think there's a chance he's not the favorite to land the job and yet munkin 
is not removing himself from consideration for these jobs the way that coaches often do. That's sort of the part of this that I sort of find interesting. I'm not sure what it means. Maybe I, I don't. I, I literally don't know what it means. But you know, you know the the notion that this is all just sort of a a step in the process here. The next logical step then is to sort of say, well, hey, great interview, but I've decided I'm going to stay at Georgia. You know, Munkin is not removing himself from consideration right now, and I do find that to be a little bit interesting. I think we've used the term flirting, and I'll let people take that where they want. Um, but this is a guy who was fired from two jobs not too long ago. He was fired from Tampa Bay. And he was fired. He was part of a staff that was fired for the Cleveland Browns. And in coaching, there's no shame in being fired. By the way, like 99.9 percent of coaches are going to get fired at, at these different levels. It just that's just part of the deal. It's it, you know if, if we could fire some of the boy bands of the 90s because we got tired of their sound, we would have. People, you know, get tired of things and people and want change for the sake of change. So my where I'm going with this is in my little psychoanalysis here is there's probably some healing going on. And I think it creates, you know, Munkin's creating his brand. He's a sought-after offensive coordinator. And if that means flirting a little bit and having people talk about him and hearing his name and reports to feel a little bit better, after everything this guy's been through in his career, I mean, now right now things are great. I, I Brandon, I don't know if I could think of a better, more well-liked, loved, valued coordinator, offensive coordinator, Maybe ever. I'm trying to think. You'll have to help me out. Who was the guy that was at UCLA for a little while that had kind of a Norm Chow kind of had that name, that buzz name as the coordinator going for a little bit. But this is about as good as it gets. And if you're Munkin, you probably want to cash in on that. You say, you know what, let's take advantage of that. Let's shop a little bit. Let's meet some people. Let's, you know, have people tell me how much they want me and appreciate me and, and value me. And let me create this image as a sought-after brand. So that if things next year, you know, change for whatever reason, which they're always subject to do, you know, he, he now has a reputation as a sought-after guy. So that that's kind of where my mind goes on the psychoanalysis sure. of this. Um, but but I could I could be completely wrong. But I, I will say this: when I was at the basketball game, and I noticed Kirby Smart checking his phone, part of me wondered if he got a text from Todd Munkin. I said, you know, he just showed his phone to his wife. Is it Todd Munkin saying, hey, Kirby, I've decided to, because <laughs> he came out late after halftime. I'm like, is he on the phone? Hmm. Is the wheel, are the wheels in motion? Is there going to be a report tomorrow that Munkin's gone? Or is there going to be a report tomorrow that Munkin's staying and, and he's telling Claude to get on the press release? Like, that's where my mind went. So I will admit, even though I'm sitting here telling people, oh, don't worry about it. Kirby's got it under control. I'm just as curious as anybody. Well, Mike, it's interesting stuff, and I appreciate your time today. I was going to also ask you about your Kenny McIntosh story on the Georgia quarterback situation. I'm a little bit uh, late on time for right now, so let me just tell people to read that at dognation.com. That's good stuff. Kenny kind of weighing in on uh, that and a whole number of other topics as it relates to the uh, 2023 roster. So good stuff there at dognation.com on that. Mike, have a a great day. We'll look forward to seeing you here next week on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braided Pass Management. We'll talk to you then. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, one quick thought on Munk, and then we'll uh, change the subject to uh, something else. I mean, Georgia could obviously pay Todd Munkin $3 million to get him to stay. If they wanted to, they could pay him $30 million to get him to stay. Georgia's got the money. The money's not the issue here, and Georgia's not in the habit of being outspent on anything. But 
when it comes to like a coaching roster i do believe that managing that is a little bit similar to managing a player roster there as well you know there was this pat on the back for a brock bowers the other day because bowers supposedly uh you know uh said no to some nil money he could have gotten because he was already kind of getting paid via the traditional nil means and so he was willing to let that collective money go to somebody else and a lot of folks thought oh that's a really good gesture by bowers because it kind of preserves that locker room culture well i think there's a version of that that's true for uh coaches too and listen i don't begrudge anybody for getting their money coaches players whatever else but there's a little bit of a balance when it comes to keeping everybody happy all your coaches all your analysts all your players and you know if all of a sudden coach x is now getting paid three times what somebody else is getting paid all of a sudden the 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 locker room balance can be potentially impacted by that and i'm not saying that georgia shouldn't pay whatever it needs to to bring back todd munkin i mean you know kirby smart understands the inner workings of that program certainly better than i ever would i'm just simply saying that when it comes to how much money do i give my coaches how much money do i give an individual assistant coach there is more to consider about that other than oh do we have the money because georgia clearly has the money to do whatever it wants it's also about you know how do you let everybody know they're valued how do you let everybody know that they're a part of this and i said the other day hey you know maybe georgia should try to find a way to get a little bit bigger spotlight on monk and give him a little bit more credit as a way of maybe getting the actual nfl jobs that he might really want to have or the actual nfl jobs to give him a better chance of success but the flip side of that the other side of that coin is well if you put too much of a spotlight on one assistant coach you're taking attention away from the other coaches in the kind of ensemble cast that has caused georgia to succeed both in terms of the coach ranks the player ranks that could be impacted by that it's at least just something to consider for now though let's get ready to go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean we told you earlier we've got a great giveaway right now courtesy of our friends at kroger and telling you about that also just gets me excited about being on board with all of you as mike griffith said a moment ago you know this is one of those things where it just gives us a chance to kind of let our hair down a little bit and be you know a little bit different than maybe the version of myself that you see on the show each and every day or the version uh, of mike that you read on the pages of dognation.com we can just be a little bit more relaxed uh, we're kind of post g day at that point we're well ahead of the start of the next season and we're kind of away from the cameras away from just the the regular grind of the job it's just kind of fun to relax and it's kind of fun to be able to do all of that with all of you so for those of you who are going to be on board we are so excited about that there may be still a little bit of a chance for you to get involved if you'd like to be in fact you can check out uh, jessica slater she's put a website together called royaldogs.com that's royaldogs.com you can go there find out more information about the dog nation cruise you can also call jessica directly 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 i'd also tell you this i think the jessica's a great resource as well for your other royal caribbean cruise vacation needs maybe you want to take a seven night cruise like my family is about to do uh, you can find out more about that Maybe you want to do one of these like three-night sailings over the course of a weekend. Uh, great time to do that there as well. Hey, maybe you want to go out to Port Canaveral or maybe for whatever reason, you know, Port of Miami makes sense to you or Port Everglades over there in Fort Lauderdale or, you know, uh, Galveston Island in Texas. There's, only, there's just so many great options to kind of explore. Jessica can kind of walk you through all of that. So reach out to her today and talk to her about a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, including our Dog Nation cruise coming up this April. All right, with that said, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC uh here for a moment so we're chase goodbread a longtime writer worked for nfl.com he's worked for a number of places but he's been kind of anchored in the state of alabama chase on uh the paul feinbaum show this week says that he believes that jeremy pruitt's going to eventually be back on the alabama coaching staff that the the basic assumption we all have here is is that either 
Alabama couldn't hire Nick Saban, or I should say that Nick Saban and Alabama couldn't hire Jeremy Pruitt, or just didn't really feel like that was a very good idea right now, given the cloud of investigation still hanging over Pruitt's head, the idea that he might get kind of a show cost penalty from the NCAA, that hiring Pruitt just wasn't the right thing to do for Alabama right now, but eventually Pruitt will be in that spot and Kevin Steele will move on. My response to that is a little bit weird to think that Steele would leave a place like Miami, even though Miami apparently wasn't that great of a place to work, uh, leave a place like Miami to be nothing more than, I think it's been described by some Alabama fans, just a seat warmer for Jeremy Pruitt. Seems a little bit weird that that's what uh, Kevin Steele might do and maybe a little bit presumptive or a little bit ambitious thinking on the part of Alabama fans. As I said before, you know, the notion that uh, that Pruitt's going to be able to come eventually work for Nick Saban again and kind of provide him the boost as a defensive coordinator that he once provided him after Kirby Smart left to go be a Georgia head coach. I think that assumption requires the belief that Nick Saban's going to be sticking around here for the long haul. And y'all, hear me now believe me later if georgia wins another national championship maybe they do maybe they don't but let's just save the sake of conversation if they do it does not matter what kind of season alabama has alabama could be 10 and 2 in the regular season again they could be undefeated and lose to georgia in the national championship they could be i guess that would be hard to do uh undefeated losing the sec championship could play again the national championship whatever the scenario is if georgia wins the national championship again Alabama fans themselves will come out of the woodworks to say they are tired of Nick Saban you know it was tolerable for for Alabama fans to see Georgia win a national championship it's a little bit restless inducing a little bit anxiety producing to see uh, Georgia win a second you let Georgia win a third you let Georgia essentially make history it'll be the Alabama fans themselves who are saying we're tired of Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt will never get his chance to work with Nick Saban because Alabama fans will be ready for him to be gone and Nick Saban's going to get frustrated with the fact that uh, Alabama fans won't give him more credit for the success he's had in the past we've seen this play out a million different places in the past and Alabama I believe will be no different so I think you have to be on guard for the idea that this could be Nick Saban's last season. I think you have to be at least on guard for that as a possibility. And Kevin Steele, who was Nick Saban's first defensive coordinator in Alabama, but may very well be his last there as well. That if it's another non-playoff year or another non-national championship year, if it really does seem like, gosh, in 2022, when we had Bryce Young, we had uh, Will Anderson, that may have been our last best chance to win one of these. You could see a lot of restlessness there in Tuscaloosa, and there may not be a program led by Nick Saban for Jeremy Pruitt to run back to once the NCAA stuff is you know out from underneath him. So well, let's just let's just watch this. Just put a pin in that for right now, and let's watch this and let's see how it all plays out. I thought it was a little bit interesting that uh, Adrian Clem, who was the Oregon offensive line coach, uh, has left, I guess reportedly to go be offensive line coach for the New England Patriots. This is an example of something that's been going on kind of a lot lately. And to me, when you look at the situation overall with Oregon, like Oregon had an incredible conclusion to its 2023 recruiting class. A lot of momentum, you know, picked up a lot of big time recruits, one of the big winners, you know, back in December. It seems like there's a lot of good things happening with the Oregon program, a lot of positive forward momentum with that program. And then as a total outlier to that, post February signing day, you lose your offensive line coach you know, to the uh, New England Patriots. And this is just one of those things where, hey, everything else is good with the program, but boom, one of your assistants still wants to leave. And the phrase I've used before, there's a little bit of a brain drain right now where, and you don't really see this door swinging both ways. 
you don't see a lot of NFL guys rushing back to college football, but you do see a lot of college coaches with their options open going to the NFL. Now, I don't know if Clem's going to the NFL right now because he's tired of, you know, transfer portal or whatever else, NIL, whatever coach might be tired of. I don't know what Clem's reasoning is for going to the New England Patriots, but there are a lot of these stories out there. And the other thing I'll tell you is, while we notice this at the top level of the sport, the top assistants moving on to the NFL, there is a version of this that's also true at the bottom level of the sport too, where a lot of position coaches for FCS teams or position coaches for a group of five teams, a lot of those guys are going back to high school. And listen, at a place like Georgia or a state like Texas, you can make $200,000 coaching uh, you know, a, a good high school program. And a lot of college coaches at the kind of the position coach level of group of five or FCS level programs have said, you know what? Maybe I'm just better off in high school. I can work there for a long time. I can get teacher retirement. I can live a better life doing that than I am as a guy aspiring to kind of you know, climb the, uh, the ladder of, of college coaching here there as well. So you see a little bit of brain drain both at the top of the sport, guys moving on to the NFL, bottom of the sport, college coaches going back to high school. And I don't know what you do about this necessarily, but it is something that you ought to notice that as college football continues to make all these changes at some point in time it's going to address how do we keep top coaching talent wanting to be at this level of the sport now it's not an epidemic yet it's not the kind of thing that is even noticeable but but talking about these things dealing with these things before they become uh, super noticeable is probably important to do and i don't think we're having enough of a conversation right now about just how many college coaches are leaving college coaching it's something you ought to be paying attention to maybe oh one more coach who i think a lot of folks think probably should be leaving college coaching are you familiar with brian ferentz this is kirk ferentz's son brian is the offensive coordinator at iowa and he is legitimately terrible at his job the other day i was complaining about uh, nepotism in the nfl ferentz is probably a pretty textbook example of nepotism at the college ranks there as well and so ferentz has got a new contract and it's very incentive laden and this kind of went viral the other day so basically he's got like a very small base salary and through certain benchmarks can make more money one of those being averaging at least 25 points per game by the way ironically i guess defensive scores also count on this there as well so he actually even gets credit here for something he doesn't even provide which is just points scored however they come if he averages at least 25 points per game he gets like a six-figure uh bonus or something along those lines what's funny about 25 points per game is that would only rank about 85th in the fbs level in terms of points scored per game and so a lot of folks gave a lot of attention to that but there's also, I guess, another clause in this contract where if uh, Ferentz, the son of Kirk Ferentz, the head coach at Iowa, if Brian Ferentz doesn't average at least 25 points per game, apparently they just tear up the contract and he just loses his job. So you're talking about like a high-stakes deal here this year. It's like you score 25 points per game, you can stay here and be employed. We'll even give you a little bit more money for doing so. If you can't do that uh, – <laughs> out the door sort of like the line from do you know the movie glengarry glenn ross where alec baldwin characters like hey first prize a cadillac second prize set of steak knives third prize you're fired uh we sort of reduced the uh, set of steak knives we kind of got rid of that and it's either hey you get 100 grand for scoring 25 points or you're fired apparently so a little bit of drama there in iowa city this year maybe worth paying attention to we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean by the way speaking of drama i want to talk about this here for a moment There is drama ongoing right now between Georgia fans and Ohio State fans in the aftermath 
of the Peach Bowl in which Ohio State probably played a little closer with Georgia than some of their own fans even would have expected. But Georgia did win the game. Uh, the moment that everyone seemingly is still talking about, you know, well after the game is what happened on the Javon Bullard hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, Bullard makes a play that saves a touchdown. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Marvin Harrison Jr. was injured on the play. Uh, Ryan Day is still whining, saying it should have been a targeting call. Obviously, you know, smarter people than that have come out to explain why that's not true, but that hasn't stopped Day from saying what he's saying. Ohio State fans kind of echoing some of that there as well. And this has now gone on long enough that it's actually gotten Marvin Harrison Jr.'s attention. So I want to show you this on the screen here for a moment. So apparently a memorabilia company has got a photo of the Bullard hit on Marvin Harrison Jr., it's signed by Javon. Let me, let me just read here. This is the Silver Bulletin on Twitter, which I'm assuming is some sort of Ohio State fan site. Uh, so Silver Bulletin says, a Georgia memorabilia company is selling a signed print of Javon Bullard's hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. with Bullard's inscription, Night Night, uh, basically, uh, as kind of like the caption for his autograph. And obviously, the Silver Bulletin points out that Harrison suffered a concussion on this play. Well, Marvin Harrison Jr. saw this. He retweets it and says, quote, night, night, LOL, bet, meaning basically he's going to take this as extra motivation and all of this. Now, let me say a couple of thoughts about this here for a moment. First of all, no one who is serious, no one who's in like the you know realm of reality is in any way happy that Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt on that particular play. No one celebrates the idea that Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt. I don't want any football player to ever get hurt on any play because, gosh knows, this is a tough game. It is a violent game. Guys get hurt all the time, and that stinks. Not just because, you know, you, your favorite team, you know, loses a guy that helps them win, but because it, it's it's just not fun to be injured. So, I mean, I don't know of anyone that roots for anybody else's injury. I, I, I simply don't. That's not what anyone wants football to be about. But the idea here, though, that Georgia has something to apologize for because of the Javon Bullard hit on Marvin Harrison Jr., that is also a misunderstanding of what football is about there as well. Bullard made a good play. He separated the receiver from the football, and it stinks that Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt on this. It really does. But that was not, nor was it ever, Javon Bullard's attention. Now, should he have used night-night as a way of signing the autograph? Honestly, I'm not even really sure he's even thinking about what he's doing in that particular situation. I'll also say this, that night-night is a big part of sport, uh, sports culture right now. Isn't that kind of what uh, Nolan Smith did after he sacked uh, Bryce Young after last year's national championship game? That's kind of a night-night gesture. Doesn't that kind of come from MMA? I'm not a huge MMA fan, uh, but I think there was an MMA guy that kind of made that famous. I don't know that for sure. But the point is... <laughs> You know, the idea that somehow, you know, night night, which I see people using on Twitter all the time on social media all the time, the idea that some sort of indication that Javon Bullard was bragging about hurting Marvin Harrison Jr. That's not what it is. And it's just not. And listen, I really like watching Marvin Harrison Jr. play. And that night in the, uh, the the Peach Bowl, I was very impressed by what he did. Now, I was more impressed in the first half and the second half because what a lot of people don't bring up is is that he had been pretty well held in check throughout the entirety of the third quarter uh, prior to the injury there in the fourth quarter. People don't seem to bring that up, but the point is Harrison Jr. in the first half was virtually unstoppable. He is a ton of fun to watch, and he's probably you know the best wide receiver in the sport. Ohio State typically seems to have that guy, and Harrison Jr. seems to be that guy right now. But y'all, the drama here is just too much for me. It's just too much. I don't know if Bullard should have put that on the autograph or not, 
But at the same time, I also have seen guys at autograph shows signing autographs or some of these personal signings. They are just signing their name over and over again. They're not thinking about what they're doing at all. This memorabilia dude may have told him to do that, and he just wrote it and moved on because you're just trying to get through the autographs. Autograph signing is actually harder work than you realize because it's signing your name over and over and over and over again. But once again, you've got examples of these Buckeyes fans who just try to turn everything into a drama farm here on all this. I am sorry you lost, and I am sorry your favorite player got hurt. I really, really am. But Javon Bullard doesn't have anything to apologize for, nor should he apologize, nor is Georgia apologizing anytime soon. It was a tough, hard-fought game. Ohio State gave Georgia everything it wanted that day, but Georgia still won, and that's it. And you should try to move on because uh, that's – probably the the best recipe for future happiness for all of you so the drama continues i'm guessing it's not slowing down anytime soon but in this particular case there will be no apologies forthcoming on the georgia side i do not believe but here's what i can tell you coming up on friday we'll have the big finish presented by the finish long drink here on our program and it's a great way for you to celebrate yourself enjoying some wonderful wonderful finished long drink now if you haven't tried this before but you like mixed drinks I think you'll like to finish long drink. In fact, it could be a great uh, thing for you for the big game coming up on Sunday. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail right there in the can. You pop the top. You can either drink it out of the can. You can pour it into a glass and enjoy. Kind of like you like uh, like the traditional comes in a blue can. It's got like a grapefruit kind of flavor with a gin kick to it. There's a long drink cranberry, which uh, I know a lot of folks in my neighborhood just absolutely love. It's always very popular at the pool time come summer. You get the long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. Uh, you can enjoy that there as well. Just go to thelongdrink.com, put in your zip code. You can find out where you can pick some up today, but you can also find out about all four of the finished long drink varieties, and maybe you'll even get yourself one of those eight-can variety packs where you get four different cans. I should say uh, two different cans of each of the four finished long drink varieties. So enjoy that today. It's the finished long drink online at thelongdrink.com, and we'll see you as a part of Friday's show for the big finish presented by the finished long drink there as well. All right, let's give you a golden shoe to uh, say goodbye to you here today. And to be completely honest with you, I don't remember what our golden shoe is today. So let me see this on the screen here, and I will – oh, yeah, there we go. So uh, one of the big topics as of late has been the uh, the, the Chinese balloon. And listen, <laughs> as far as opinions on that, that's for a different show. But uh, we're more than happy to kind of laugh and make fun of it here. So Robert, uh, he's uh, chucked down eight on Twitter. So this is actually – if, if we take the username here, this is actually a little bit of a personal issue for uh, Robert here because Chucktown8 would lead me to believe that Robert lives in Charleston. Chucktown, kind of a nickname for Charleston, which means that Robert may have looked up in the uh, sky and actually seen the balloon, or it could have very well heard reverberations after it was uh, detonated. But anyway, uh, Robert asking me if I've seen this, and so it's the Chinese balloon with them dogs as hell, the Stetson Bennett phrase uh, written on it, which is very funny. I'm glad to see Robert enjoying that and having a good time, and thanks for making me aware of a, a pretty funny meme there. So that's pretty good stuff. Robert, we will give you a uh, golden shoe for today. By the way, lousy, stinking gators. Speaking of uh, things going up in smoke, obviously that's what the Florida program has appeared to be the last few years. And 262 days from right now, it gets even worse. It is our Gator Hater Countdown. And we will see all of you back here tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We will look forward to talking to you then. And on the podcast, I'm now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. R.S. Andrews is one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Take a few comments here. Uh, we'll do Twitter today, at Dog Nation Daily. So one of the things we talked about on <laughs> tweeted yesterday, apparently williams Bryce Stadium in South Carolina, they're 
considering a big overhaul of the area outside of the stadium, maybe to the tune of about a billion dollars. I'd say the weirdest atmosphere outside of a stadium anywhere in the SEC is probably around Williams-Brice. It's like a industrial area. There's railroad tracks. You know, there's the big South Carolina State Fair parking lot, which is just scorching hot in the summer. Truly, when Georgia goes to uh, Columbia, it's the hottest place that Georgia probably ever plays. It's just amazing how hot it is. Uh, uh, so a lot of folks kind of weighed in on this. David Burton says, no SEC stadium more so- sorely needs a makeover than Williams-Brice. And could you do something about that rooster while you're at it? There's a lot of things that happen inside the stadium. A lot of Georgia fans don't love. Dog in Houston also weighing in to say, how about a cleanup crew so it doesn't like your broadcasting room an abandoned industrial park like earlier this year. So what? Uh, that's our buddy Matt Rukavina. What he's referencing there is, so um, I got stuck in traffic going to columbia this year and we had to do the pregame show our, our, our kroger kickoff and so i had to just sort of pull over the side of the road and just sort of do it literally from the side of the road from about a quarter of the mile from the stadium but i mean i was like trapped in traffic and so like that i literally had to sort of do it from where i was standing and you had these like abandoned water heaters and you had like graffiti on the wall almost like a, like a 1980s music video with like this like edgy graffiti on the wall it was very very ugly and uh dog in houston's right about that on a more serious note buster grant writes in to say it's starting to sound like todd munkin searching for leverage and negotiations on a contract extension and Feinbaum was delivering the message the clip we played yesterday that kirby's not going to pay him three million dollars am i reading too much into that i think that's a fair question um, and what I, I think I've said here is, is that the longer this goes on unresolved, I think more of the invitation exists to read into it however you want to, both in terms of, you know, what Munkin may truly want. Maybe he does want to leave or how Georgia feels, because clearly it could pay him anything it wants to. And the longer you go without hearing that they're doing that, the more you may be left to conclude that's just not what this is about. And ultimately, this may not really be about money on either side. I mean, if you're already rich, then oftentimes it becomes what kind of work do you want to do and maybe munkin just wants to do a different kind of work at this point in his life uh and in the case of georgia as i said during today's show they could give him whatever money they wanted to but there's more to consider here than can we afford this race for todd munkin it's if we give todd munkin three million dollars what does that mean for the relative value of someone like say todd hartley who's been as crucial as anyone from a recruiting standpoint in terms of producing some of the success that georgia has had or del mcgee or brian mcclendon or on and on it goes that that there's a domino that falls when you give one guy a big raise and even admittedly as i said you know the notion that you might give him more attention the notion that you might kind of put him out in the forefront of the program a little bit more if you do that that comes at the expense of someone else and that just may not be how georgia runs its program uh fair enough to uh, say there so i think the longer this goes without either munkin truly leaving or without Georgia doing something that causes Munkin to remove his name from consideration for one of these NFL jobs, the longer all of this goes without being resolved, the more people are just going to start thinking all kinds of things. And the door will be open to have a lot of, I guess, um, assumptions about what might be happening here. So we'll see how that plays out, Buster, but I think it's a very fair question. Brad also writing in, he's Turtle414 on Twitter. Did you guys mention Champ Bailey today? Connor and I were talking yesterday about, you know, like all-time great Georgia players. And what he says is, did you guys mention Champ Bailey when listening to greats? He says, Gurley's the second most talented Georgia running back. Love Nick Chubb. I've got him third. Uh, certainly, I appreciate Brad weighing in on that and I appreciate his great commentary there. Um, I... Uh, 
certainly have heard from a lot of Georgia fans who say, hey, when you have these mentions of like A.J. Green and all these, that Champ Bailey's got to be a part of that there as well. So I, I don't think there's any doubt that's true, both for Brad who mentions this, other Georgia fans who mentioned this there as well, that um, – that when you talk about Champ Bailey, you're talking about one of the best players to ever have played in this program. And really, when Champ played here, I think his biggest claim to fame was he was probably the best player on both sides of the ball. Clearly, he was a you know pro football Hall of Fame cornerback. But when Champ was here, he was also a very good wide receiver, too, and a very, very prolific part of that Georgia offense. And that's always something to kind of remember about Champ Bailey there as well. So uh, great comments, uh, a lot of fun. We appreciate uh, everybody being a part of that. Uh, I'll also mention one more here. James Lawson, our buddy, writes in on this. Are you familiar with the meme of like the Titanic lady who says it's been 84 years? That's something that people always write down and say. And so what James says says, hey, just a friendly reminder to all SEC fans, A&M's last national title was in 1939. So for the upcoming 2023 season, you can literally use the it's been 84 years gift, which is actually really funny. Uh, James is a clever guy. So that's good stuff. Y'all check out RS Andrews online, rsandrews.com. Air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs, they will show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price that's promised, including replacing that water heater the same day in many cases if it goes out of uh, service on you. So check out RS Andrews for more on that rsandrews.com and we'll see you back here tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by breda pest management we'll look forward to talking to you then